Mountain. It's good to be together. Uh, my name is Jared Fox. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a guest here today, I want to just say a big welcome to you. Uh, it is good to be together. We are in week eight of a nine-week series called Still Standing. Uh, basically, we've been doing is we've been going through this thing called the Apostles' Creed, line by line. Uh, the Apostles' Creed, maybe the easiest way to explain it, it's like the cliff notes of who God is, who Jesus is, and what it means for us, right? Uh, and last week, Ben talked about how we're part of a global movement, the, the universal, the Catholic, the, the communion of saints, like God's church is all around the world. And it just so happens uh, that we have a team from Mountain who is around the globe, Ben and a bunch of folks uh, who went to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa as a way to raise funds to send students from Mathari Valley to college. And so far, okay, so far, they've raised over 100 thousand dollars how awesome is that that's enough to send seven kids to a full tuition to college here's a picture of the team here they're they're having a blast they're there uh well they start climbing here in a couple of days uh today they're actually in church like all around the world in abingdon bel-air edgewood mountain road online and in kenya right we worship together you see some pictures of them uh at the church service and as they arrive today uh, and it's just, it's cool and important to remember, right, that, that we're a part of this global movement, uh, people all around the world worshiping together. And while they're climbing, uh, maybe we can see that number climb even more from 100,000 and beyond so that we can send more kids to college. Uh, if you want to participate in that, go to Ben's website. You'll see it there. Uh, you can find those details online at, at Mountain's website as well. Uh, but I just got this video earlier from Ben. I had to show it. Uh, this is from their church service today. Check this out. You saw the big guy with the striped shirt, that's Alan, he's one of our production directors. He usually hangs out behind the scenes, and now you know why, okay? Uh, not the best dancer in the world. Uh, it, it's good to be in this series. We're going to keep plugging away, and if you would stand with me, every week we've read uh, the Apostles' Creed together, so all of our campuses, let's stand, and we're going to recite this together. If you're a guest here and you're not sure if you believe this yet, that's okay, okay? You're, this is a safe place. If you don't want to read along in these next few moments, that's completely fine. We're going to read this together now. Let's recite it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. And on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We're moving to the next line of the creed, which is the forgiveness of sins. As we start there, I want to start with just a, a little exercise for us. Okay, this, this is safe. If you're a guest around here, don't worry. I'm not, I'm not doing anything to trick you here. Uh, here's what I want to do, okay? Everyone at all of our campuses and watching online, take your right hand. Just put it like way up. 
Picture that there's a refrigerator, and on top of it is a cookie jar, and you want what's in there, okay? Like, put it way up there. And all of our campuses online, if you're watching online, maybe the dog's giving you a weird look, just ignore him. If the cat's giving you a weird look, give it a kick, okay? Uh, I, I agree with Ben's theology on cats. Uh, hold it there. You got it? Okay, let me ask you a question. Who listening to the sermon right now is a sinner? Oh, great. I'm, I'm glad we figured that out. Great. We, we cleared that up. Awesome. You put your hands down. That's right. We are all sinners, right? And I know, like, yeah, I, I did trick you a little bit, okay? Because I know that if I would have started this message by just saying, like, hey, who's, who's a sinner? Like, some of us, our hands would have shot right up. Like, man, I was so far gone. I believe in the grace of God, and I've experienced it. Like, that's me. Some of us would have been more like, I think I am. Like, maybe. And then others of us. Nope, not me. Like, I, I've done some bad stuff, but nothing too bad, right? I haven't, I haven't done anything too wrong. And I think it's important that we offer some clarity that we are all sinners. Because in order for us to understand forgiveness, first, we have to understand our sinful nature. Paul knows this, and he talks about it. Paul's come to this very robust understanding of how much of a sinner he is, and he wants us to also know it. And he says this, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned. That's us, right? Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, the Jews listening to Paul say this, reading what Paul had to say, they would have said, you know what, don't, don't you say there's no difference there is. The Jews are those who thought they were in right standing with God. And they're saying, no, but those Gentiles, they're the sinners. They're the pagans. Don't put us in the same department as them. Let's be honest. Like some of us, we, we feel that way. I'm, I'm a Christian. Don't, don't put me in the same category as those who aren't or are living crazy. Like I'm a pretty good person. But it turns out that the one thing all of us have in common is that we are sinners. We all have that in common. Maybe this will help clarify a little bit for you. Sin simply means to miss the mark. It's as simple as that. It's to miss the mark. We try to label it oftentimes. No, no, sin is that person who is caught in adultery or the addict or the liar or the cheater, whatever it may be. We try to say that is what sin looks like. But in all actuality, sin is just to miss the mark. The mark is the law of God, which no God-fearing person has ever been able to live up in its entirety and perfection except for one. And that one is Jesus. Simply put, the easiest way to say this, if you're not Jesus, you are a sinner. If someone claims to be Jesus, you hightail it the other way, okay? There's only one. This would be tough for us to swallow. We live in a time in which postmodernism, it, it tells us, like, you just, you do you, bro. You've heard that phrase. Like, you, your truth is the only truth that really matters. You live for you and you do it well. That's well, not what scripture tells us. Scripture tells us there is a mark, there is a target, there's something we are trying to accomplish, and that's just to be as much like Jesus as we can be. But Paul, you know, he, he reminded us there that we're going to come up short. All of us are sinners, none of us are Jesus. Let me explain it to you this way. Um, think about a child being born, okay? And for just a moment, 
that child enters the world and they're okay. They haven't screwed up yet. Whatever your theology is on original sin, just kind of park it to the side for a minute so that, for the sake of the illustration, okay? Think, think about it this way. Maybe you've seen one of these before. I hate these things, okay? Because it's like as soon as I pick it up, a Rubik's Cube, and I make a couple of moves, it seems like all hope has been lost. Like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to get that back? And in the same way, a child is born, and for just a moment, they're right. But then so quickly, the, the doctor smacks them on the rear, and they start to cry, and sin has been ushered into the world, right? Maybe you can think forward just a little bit to what we've referred to as parents as blowouts. If you've ever experienced a child who had a blowout, you're like, oh, now I know what sin is, okay? Or you look a little bit further into their life. I mean, if you have kids, you realize, you're like, oh, I see sin every day, right? Uh, my little Ella girl, when she was learning to, to eat solids, like you mush it up and you put it in a bowl and you put it in front of them. And I remember there was one day we put this bowl of mushed up carrots and stuff in front of her. And I'm like, okay, Ella girl, eat. And as I walk away into the kitchen, I turn back around and I, I see her with stuff all over her face, right? But she starts to push the bowl towards the edge of the table. I look at Ella girl, don't you do it, with a little sparkle of evil in her eyes. She just launches that bowl right off the side and it goes everywhere, right? Fast forward a little bit, no, no sooner than they learn to talk do they learn to talk back. I actually vividly remember my son's very first curse word. He was five, okay? Uh, we had just gotten a dog, and we were training that dog to use a bell when he wants to go outside. So there's a bell attached to the back door. Just go nuzzle it with his nose, and you ring it. That means he needs to go outside. He needs to go to the restroom. And so one day, it was a Saturday, and my, my, my dog, for whatever reason, is beautiful, wanted to be outside, is just nuzzling that bell, and it's ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing. And then all of a sudden, from upstairs, I hear my five-year-old yell, quit ringing that darn bell. But he did not say darn, okay? I wasn't sure whether to be mad at him or happy that he used really good grammar, okay? I looked at my wife, and I said, Sarah, you've got to stop cussing in front of the kids, Right, no, no, full, full disclosure, uh, the day before we had watched the 1990s version of Ninja Turtles, uh, the best version of Ninja Turtles, and uh, they curse in that. PG back then was different than it is today, okay? You're, you've been warned, all right? He hears it, he sees it, and then he, he leans into it, right? We, we are sinners. We experience sin, and it starts to mess us up. Now think about when kids in elementary school, did you know that the average first exposure to pornography comes in fourth grade? Now sin is all around us. Fast forward to middle school and we all just immediately think, no, let's go past middle school. So let's move past middle school, okay? We're gonna go straight to high school. I remember when I was in high school, I got my license, you have all this new freedom, and uh, when I got my license, my parents uh, had a Mercury. Yeah, woo, right, a Mercury. And they said, you, you can drive the Mercury, and on a Saturday night, just when you get to your friend's house, you call us, you let us know that you were there, uh, and you gotta be there by 11 p.m., that's your curfew, right? Uh, and so one Saturday night in particular, where the plan was to go to Dan's house, but all of my friends were still hanging out at Constance's house, and so I... I I drove to her house instead, and at 11 p.m., I called my parents, say, hey, I'm at Dan's house for the night, love you guys, good night, and they believed me. 
come 2, 2.30 in the morning, it's time for us to go to Dan's house for the rest of the night. And I get in my car. And I don't, I don't know what it is about teenagers in the middle of the night and driving. I get in my car, and I'm like, okay, I am ready to go. Like, I become a race car driver, and I take off, right? And I'm from Kentucky. Everywhere you look, there are fences and there are horses. And I'm driving back to Dan's house, and I am flying around these corners. And then all of a sudden, I lose control, and my car bounces off of the road, goes through a fence, bounces off of a telephone pole. The horses scatter, and I find myself there with my eyes open, noticing that this, this plank of the fence had come through the window and stopped about an inch away from my face. And I realized in that moment that God spared my life so that my father could take it. <laughs> right? Like we, we give in to sin over and over and over again. Fast forward to adulthood. What is it? Cheating, doing whatever it takes to get ahead, running people over. Maybe it's your hatred towards somebody else because of what they've done to you or what they look like. Maybe it's your sexual activity outside of marriage. Maybe you're an addict, maybe you're a cheater. Whatever the list could go on and on of all of the ways that we are screwed up. And at the end of it all, we're stuck with this jumbled up mess that we don't know how to fix on our own. And for just a moment, I, I could maybe figure out how to get a couple of these blocks to look the same, but then as quickly as I've made progress, I screw it back up. And some of us, we can relate to this. We feel like, you know what, I'm too far gone. I can't fix it. I can't overcome it. I've gone too far. I've done, done too much. And then the Apostle Paul says, well, let me, let me really brighten the situation for you. And here's what he says. He says, for the wages of sin is death. And the only thing we've earned by sinning, that's death. You notice, like, Paul doesn't stop to clarify which sins. I think we do that, right? We're often like, oh, it's just this sin and this sin that are going to get you in trouble, but these are okay. No, he says sin, just sin, means that you have earned death. At our high school summer camp this year, they phrased it this way. Sin doesn't necessarily make you a bad person, but sin always makes you a dead person. When we sin, our life looks a mess. It looks like there's no hope. We die both physically and spiritually. And I know what you're thinking, like, man, I'm glad I came to church today. Gosh, you're telling me I'm a sinner who deserves death? Yeah, I am, and so am I. The good news is, that's not the end of the story. You see, I think it's important for us to understand how staggering of a statement it is to understand that we are all 
sinners. We are all messed up. None of us can fix it on our own. And if we understand that there is a problem called sin, we can start to understand maybe for a minute that there is a solution to that problem called hope and grace. And if we can understand the stark reality that we live in such terrible, messed up sin, then it makes the hope of salvation and forgiveness taste that much sweeter. The next line in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And here's what I want you to know today, friends. If you're watching online at whatever campus you're at, here it is. Look me in the eye. Here it is. God forgives you. God forgives you. This jumbled up mess of our lives God forgives us. And if we can come to, to, to term, understand truly how messed up we are, and then we understand how much God loves us, we realize how deep his love goes and how rich his mercy is, and we understand the fact that we can't have life without him, but he wants to give us life, not death, life. He wants us to live life and live it to the fullest. Let's try that exercise again. Put your hand up. Go after the cookie jar, okay? It's way up there. Put it as high as you can get it. If you're watching online, once again, kick the cat, okay? Get that hand up nice and high. Now let me ask you another question. Is God able and willing to forgive your sin? Oh, good. I'm glad we cleared that up. You can put your hands down. Our God loves us. No matter who you are, no matter how messed up you are, God is able and willing to forgive you. Now notice, I I didn't ask if you believed it, because let's be honest, some of us, we don't yet. You don't understand how far I've gone. You don't understand how much wrong I've done. You don't understand how much of a sinner I am. He wouldn't forgive me. Yes, he would. But let me get one thing perfectly clear. God hates your sin. The stuff that messes us up, he hates it. He doesn't want us for it. But that same God who hates our sin desperately loves us. And he says, I could take care of the problem. I can fix the problem. His love is so fierce. His mercy is so rich. His graciousness is so vast that regardless of your sin, would you believe something right here and right now? His love is greater and stronger and better than the garbage in your life. John 3.16. In John 3.16, we read, it's one of the most popular Bible verses ever, right? That God so loved you, the world. He so loved us that he sent his one and only son. Whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. They won't perish. See, what that verse tells us is there is a sin problem. That problem equals death. But God loves you. He said, I'm not gonna let you sit in your sin. I'm not gonna allow you to live life thinking that death is your only option. But instead, I will send my son And if the wage of sin is death, he's going to take that wage for you. He's going to pay the penalty for you so that you can experience life and not have to worry about the jumbled up mess of your life anymore. See, a wage, something we earn, we've earned death. But eternal life, it's a gift that is given to us. We can't earn it because if we could, we would make it about us. 
It's freely handed over. Just as we define sin, let's define forgiveness. Here's the way a pastor named Matt Chandler describes it. I think this is actually a really beautiful illustration. There's a lot of scripture taken to, to say this. Forgiveness is releasing someone from their wrongs fully. I'm not holding anything back. This, this isn't some uh, tank that's going to eventually end up empty. No, it, there's plenty of it for the taking. All of us are welcome to it. Forgiving someone of their wrongs fully, freely, Nothing you can do to earn it. Here it is. I'm giving it to you and forever. God's grace. It's good. And it lasts. There's no end to it. It's not rationed. There's plenty for the taking. And Jesus, his entire life was about ushering in the fact that he's come to save us, to give us hope to give us life to the fullest. And Jesus would often sit around with people who, who the Bible refers to as sinners. And I always think that's funny because that's us, right? Like he's sitting down with us. And there's this one part in Luke 15 where Jesus is sitting there and he's got sinners and tax collectors around him. These are like the worst of the worst. Let me tell you this. If you're, if you're sitting here today or one of our campuses and you're thinking like, God will forgive some people, but I am the worst of the worst. In this moment in Luke 15, would you just come to realize that Jesus is sitting down with you? Like you're sitting across from him and he's talking about all the goodness that God is ushering in. And then over on this side, the Pharisees, they're kind of listening in, the religious folks. I like to picture it this way. You've got Jesus and you've got these people sitting around him. And then way over here, you've got these religious people that just kind of have an ear out like, okay, What's he saying? And they say, like, why? Why is he sitting with those people? Why is he sitting with the sinners? And Jesus, he overhears this. He says, well, let me tell you why. And he begins to share this parable, this story, one of his most famous about the prodigal son, knowing that these religious people are listening in, and he's got the captive audience of a bunch of sinners and tax collectors. He says, here's how it goes. There were two sons, and one of them goes to his father, and he asks for his portion of the inheritance. This is, this is a big deal. Some of, like, the beginning of the story is so quick that some of us lose sight of how big of a deal this is. I know if we get in a financial bond, we, we just go take some money out of our 401k, and we move on. But in this case, as the son comes to his father, in Jesus' day, when the son goes to his father and says, can I have my half of the inheritance? What he is saying to his dad, I don't love you anymore. I don't need you anymore. I don't want you. I just want your stuff. He's disowning him. And the father in that moment has every right, every right to say, no, 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 no. Lock him up. Kick him out. Disown him. Get him out of here. But he doesn't. He goes and he divides up the inheritance and he gives him his portion. The Bible says the son took off for a far land, distant, far from his father. And there he squandered his wealth on wild living. Another translation says he squandered his wealth on loose living. I've heard it also translated that He devoured the father's property with prostitutes. Well, what does this mean? It means things got crazy. He got messed up. He lived like crazy. 
and then he runs out of money. The inheritance is gone, and he finds himself alone, homeless, and to make matters worse, now a famine has come through the land, and he's there hungry, desperate, and afraid. Says that he was so miserable that he just looked for any job he could find, and he found a job feeding pigs. And the Bible says that that he was so hungry that he longed to fill his belly with the very slop that the pigs were eating. Like how low must he had fallen? But then we see five of the most beautiful words in Scripture. It says, He came to his senses. This is what I hope for you and me today, that we might come to our senses, that we might realize there is something better for us than living all jumbled up in the mess that we've created with our sin, that there is a better way. And the son says, you know what? I have an idea. Maybe this will work. I'm just gonna go home. And like, I know I'm not worthy to be a son anymore, but I, my, the, the way my father's servants eat and live is so much better than how I am living. So I'm going to go home. I'm gonna take the long track home and I, I'm gonna go and I, I've rehearsed this speech. When I get there, I'm gonna say, you know, I've sinned against you and, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but would you just be so gracious as, as to maybe make me a servant? Make, make me your servant so at least I can eat and have a place to sleep. And the son starts the journey home. Can you imagine what that journey was like with his head down, walking back towards home? I mean, he had gone so far away. He had run so far from the father. And he turns around. He says, it's time to go home. And he's rehearsing the speech. I, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Just make me a servant. Please, please, please. If I, forgiveness, forgiveness, forgive me. I know I don't deserve it, but can I just, just be a servant? And then we pick up the story here in Luke 15. And it says this. So he got up and he went. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. You see, you see what's happening here? I love this part of the story, and for the longest time, I glanced right over one of the most important parts of the story. The son decided to come home, and while he was still a long way off, the father noticed. Friends, you know what that tells me? God is waiting. And the father could have just gone back to working. He could have gone back and put his head down, but he kept his head on a swivel and he watched the horizon because he was hopeful and he was excited for the moment that his son that was lost would come back. And when he gets there, what does he do? He doesn't even get all the way to the door. He takes off running after him. He goes to him, he hugs him, and he kisses him. And the scripture continues and it says this. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called. This is the speech that he had rehearsed, right? And it continues. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Did you catch what was missing from the speech? Remember, he had rehearsed a speech, like I've sinned against you, point A. Point B, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Point C, can I at least be a servant? 
The father let him say, I've sinned against you. I've asked for forgiveness. He let him say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But did you notice the father did not let him get the words out of his mouth to say, can I just be your servant? Because the father said, if you're coming home, if you're turning back towards me and you're coming home, you're not going to be a servant. No, I'm going to put the best robe on you and I'm going to put sandals on your feet and I'm going to put rings on your fingers and you are going to go back to your rightful place as a son, as an heir, right where you belong. It's a beautiful example of God's love and that's not the end of it. It goes on, it says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate for the son of mine was dead. Remember, remember what death comes from? Sin. My son of mine had gone and he had sinned and he had screwed up and he had gone so far he was dead but now he is alive. He was lost, he is found and so they began to have a party. The son The son came back home. He realized there was something better. And the father was waiting. And he ran to him. And he threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. And he gave him a robe. And he gave him sandals. And he said, all it took was you coming home. All the son had to do was repent. Maybe you've heard that word before. It is a churchy word. We don't use it a lot. For the longest time, the word repent actually kind of scared me. It doesn't need to be scary. The word repent is quite simple. All it means is to turn towards Jesus, to reorient yourself towards Jesus, to turn back around. And the son, he did that. He ran from the father, and then there came a point where he made a decision that I was going to repent, and he reoriented himself back towards home, and he took off for that. That's all that scripture requires of us to understand and receive forgiveness. Acts 2, Peter's talking. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's make something perfectly clear. Peter Peter doesn't say, hey, for that sin and that sin, like, let me pick the sins. It's It's not this one and that one or that one. No, it is all sin. All it takes is us returning, turning back towards Jesus. There's nothing you can do to clean yourself up. It's not like, oh, but this sin I've got to get right first before I go to Jesus. There's not some cosmic scale or scoreboard out there that says, I can do enough right to earn it. No, it takes one gesture, one movement, and that's the movement of repentance to turn towards Jesus. Simply enough, We're a mess. And declaring Jesus as our Lord and Savior means that we can be right again. It means that we're forgiven fully, freely, and forever. For it is by grace, as Ephesians says, that you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one, no one can boast. It is grace, it is a gift, and it has been given to you. We are a jumbled up mess. There's nothing I can do to fix this. But Jesus tells us very clearly 
that he can. You know, that story I told you of uh, when I wrecked my wonderful Mercury. I had a decision to make when I opened my eyes and I saw that board there. At this moment, do I call my dad? Or do I try to fix this? Do I try to hide it? Do I, or do I just run away? Like, man, I screwed up big. Should I just take off or should I call him and should I fess up? And I remember the moment I finally worked up the courage to pull my phone out and call my dad. My friends and I, we all sat around and we discussed what are the ways out of this that don't involve calling dad? And there wasn't one. And so I called him. He said, I'll be right there. And I remember that was the longest 20 minutes waiting for him to arrive. And I thought, when he pulls up, what on earth am I in store for? He's going to be angry. He's going to be mad. As the car pulls up and my dad gets out, he walks to me, and I've got my head down, and he picks my head up, and he embraces me. His face touches mine as we hug, and he whispers in my ear, I'm so glad you called me. I love you. I was so worried about you. My dad found Jesus when he was in his 40s, and he was a beautiful example. He is a beautiful example of God's grace, but he still pales in comparison to how good Jesus is. I had a decision to make. Am I going to try and cover up the mess, or am I going to call dad? We, we've got that same decision to make ourselves. What is it for you that you don't think God will take care of? Maybe those things you saw on the internet, you can't get out of your head and you, you feel bound up by pornography. Maybe you have cheated in some major ways. Maybe you've lied Maybe it's the past hurt of an abortion or abuse. Maybe it's your debt. Maybe it's your sexual activity outside of marriage. Whatever it is, no matter how big or how small, God's grace is enough. You haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much. What God says is I will take the jumbled up mess of your life and I, through Jesus Christ, will make it whole and perfect and right again. That is the grace of God. Not because of anything I can do, but because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. He's taken our penalty. He's taken our wages and he paid them in full so that we can have life. Amen. But I know what you're thinking. That's great. Like, I'll accept Jesus, but then, man, I'm just going to mess it up again. Like, this week, <laughs> this week, I, I got so mad at my son. I, I lashed out with him, at him with anger, and I saw the tears fill his eyes, but then I was reminded, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Or maybe you're, hey, you've, you've hit me, like, square in the face today. I'm a cheater. I've cheated in some major ways, and I'm just going to keep screwing this thing up time and time again. Well, can I remind you, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Or, you know, I accepted Jesus, and, and man, I was... 
I was five months sober, but then I, I fell off the wagon once again, and I, I messed it up once again. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Amen? Amen. Thanks, Christian. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you've done. God's grace is sufficient for you. It's a tension to live in, though, isn't it? I mean, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 6. He says, should we go on sinning because grace abounds? By no means, like no way. Instead, chase after Jesus, pursue righteousness, knowing that you're going to miss the mark. And then in Romans 7, he says, you know, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. And I keep doing the things I don't want to do. Like, I keep screwing up. I can't do the things I want to do, and I, don't do, and I do the things I don't want to do. And then in Romans 7, he says this, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? The wage of our sin. Who is going to pull me out of it? Thanks be to God who delivers me. He rescues me. He forgives me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, God forgives you. It's a gift. It's right in front of you. I am pleading with you. I am begging with you. Be like the sun and turn around. Go back home. Reorient yourself towards Christ and let him take the jumbled up mess of your life and make it whole again. There's a one-time element to repentance. As we turn towards Jesus, he says, I am going to take care of it. I will make you whole. I will make you good again, I promise. And every time you screw up, my grace will be sufficient once again. And we have to end by seeing how Romans plays out the rest of the way. We only read the first part of it earlier, but here's the rest of it. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short. You remember that? But there's good news, and here it is. And all of us are justified freely by his grace, the redemption that came through Jesus, the gift of God is forgiveness that we don't deserve, forgiveness that we can't earn. And all you have to do is reach out and take it. I imagine as the prodigal son decided to go back home that that first step was the toughest. And for us, it is too. But doesn't it make you feel better to know God hasn't turned his back? No, he is looking out across all of our campuses, waiting to see your silhouette come over the hill. And he's not even gonna let you get all the way to him. He's gonna run to you and he's gonna embrace you and he's gonna hug you and he's gonna kiss you and he's gonna put you back how you were supposed to be as a rightful son and daughter and heir because our God is gracious and his grace is enough. You have not gone too far. You have not done too much wrong. Jesus loves you and he forgives 
you. I believe in the forgiveness of sin. And it makes life so sweet. Here in just a moment, at all of our campuses, the band is going to come out. And they're going to sing the song over you called Forgiven. And if you gave your life to Christ at some point, I hope this is a chance for you to soak in the beautiful reality that his grace is still enough. And if you haven't yet accepted Jesus into your life, I I hope this will be your moment. It's right here. It's right in front of you. Reach out and take it. His grace is enough. There'll be folks at all of our campuses who are gonna make their way to the front. And if you need to make a decision today to give your life to Christ, to say, I need forgiveness, I'm gonna invite you during this song to stand up and move. And maybe these folks will be a beautiful display of God to you in this moment. And just like the father waiting for his son, they're waiting for you to give you a hug and to love you and to pray with you and to say thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, my son, my daughter that was once lost is now found and forgiven and made whole and right again. Let's stand and we're gonna pray. And as we get ready for this moment, if you're one of our, our prayer partners or pastors or one of those who receive, you can make your way to the front at all of our campuses. If you're watching online, I gotta tell you, write it in, in, in the box there, okay? Go in the chat box and say, I wanna know, or get in your car and drive to one of our campuses. Let us know. Ben talked last week about how we are a global movement. We do this thing together. We're not alone. We're a support group for sinners. In this moment, let your brothers and sisters pray with you and hug you and be a physical representation of the God who is embracing you. Let's pray, and then all those who need to make a decision to follow Jesus, you're invited to move. Move out of your rows, move out of your seats, into the aisles, and make your way forward and let somebody pray for you. God, we love you. But God, more than we love you, you love us. God, we've experienced that. God, you make us whole again. You forgive us when we don't deserve it. It is a gift that you have given. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it, but you give it freely and your cup of forgiveness overflows for each and every single one of us. God, may we come to our senses. May we turn around, repent, reorient ourselves and move towards you. And Jesus, we we know we're not gonna reach perfection, but we're gonna try to live like you, knowing that when we screw up, you still make us whole. God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Amen. All right, you're invited in these next few moments. Get out of your seats. If you need to accept Jesus, this is your time. Move.